Good morning, Edgewood. It's kind of weak. Just got to tell you. First service was a little bit louder. Let's see what you can do. Good morning, Edgewood. Ah, that's so much better. Now, hey, the message today is Thanksgiving 24-7, 365 days a year. That's the message, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you an action step right now. Not at the end of the message, but I'm going to give it to you right now. So here's the action step. Here's what I want you to do. If by any chance you go on a field trip during my message... I want you to write down all the things that you're thankful for. What are you thankful for? And write them down and keep a record of all those things so that later on you can keep looking back at them because years later you'll have a long list of things that you can be grateful for. But I just want to challenge you with that because, you know, we talk about it. I I tell people, hey, this is your homework, do it. I don't have very many people that do their homework. And I just want to challenge you because there's so many things that we can be thankful for. Now, hey, I just want you to know, happy Thanksgiving. This is a happy Thanksgiving weekend. I I want you to know I thoroughly enjoy Thanksgiving. But I've kind of, I've kind of, you know, when you, when you're married for a long time, what happens is there's mutuality in the relationship. And my wife is upset that she kind of thinks that Christmas squeezes out Thanksgiving. And, you know, some of you have already got, some of you put up your Christmas tree before Thanksgiving, didn't you? Didn't you? Admit it. Admit it. We still don't have ours up yet, but we will. But I do love Thanksgiving. Hey, no pressure, no pressure uh, to buy presents. Uh, You know, just a wonderful meal. Takes 15 hours to prepare and 20 minutes to down. You know, and then, you know, you have to have some family fun. You get together with family and maybe some comatose football watching in the afternoon. And and then the anticipated leftovers that evening. Now, I finally I finally remember growing up in western New York. And my mother, my grandmother, they would always have a turkey. But you know what? Because my mother's Italian, there'd be a side dish of lasagna there. And that was always, always enjoyable. But then when I got married, we would split up our time at different places. We'd spend Thanksgiving in Michigan. Then we'd go to New York. Then we'd go to Michigan to New York. And then all of a sudden, my wife and I have two little bambinos. One is four and one is two. And so we decided that we weren't going to go anywhere. We weren't going to Michigan. We weren't going to New York. And so she prepared a small turkey. She did all the trimmings and everything. And I remember she puts that little bird, that little turkey on the table. And all of a sudden, the two-year-old just starts crying. "Ah!" And he was scared of the bird. And I told Sheila, I said, you know, hey, let's dig that picture out because we do have a picture of it. And let me put it on the screen. No, you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that. But so, hey, that really happened. And I'll tell you, those are memories that we had. So I hope that your Thanksgiving was full of family memories, making moments, and hopefully it didn't involve a whole lot of tears. Now for ours, now our Thanksgiving has changed. I mean, instead of just four around the table, we had 18 around the table. Then we celebrated three birthdays. 
And when we celebrated those three birthdays, there were 28 around the table uh, on each, each one of those birthdays. And, and then, hey, at my house, I mean, we had all these kids, and uh, I mean, they're eating cookies, crumbs were all over the place, and I'm going, let it go. Let it go. They're having a great time. I mean, one son brought his seven-month-old golden retriever, and he's having a blast running through the house. My wife got up every morning at 5.30. I think she left the door open just so that dog could come in and wake me up and jump on me. But, hey, it was a wonderful Thanksgiving. We just thoroughly enjoyed it. And then, you know, when I checked Facebook on Thursday, I saw pictures, and Friday and Saturday, I saw pictures of family gatherings all across the country. They were good wishes, expressions of thanksgiving to God, pictures of tables full of food and happy faces. I mean, one of our members actually was down in South Carolina, and they were on the beach. And they had a full table before them, and they were celebrating Thanksgiving right there on the... I thought, man, that would, be, that would be pretty cool, and I was happy for them. But hey, one of the things is, is that Thanksgiving, there are so many good things about Thanksgiving, and we want to celebrate Thanksgiving. Uh, but here's, here's something. I'm sure many of you might agree with this sentiment. Thanksgiving is all about getting your entire dysfunctional family under one roof, hoping the police doesn't get called. See, you you laugh at that, but it's true, too. Now, uh, you might call this the other side of Thanksgiving. Not every family gathering's happy time. And as I thought about it, I pondered the words of Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 15 through 17. And so here's the thing. All it says this, and and says this, all the days of the oppressed are wretched, but the cheerful heart has a continual feast. And I love that last phrase. It says, the cheerful heart has a continual feast. The cheerful heart. People with a cheerful heart have Thanksgiving 27 4 or 24 7, 365 days a year. Now, what's the secret? Well, hey, Solomon goes into it in verse 16 through 17. And, you know, he reveals some qualities that produce a cheerful heart that enjoys a continual feast. You could call them a recipe for gratitude. These gratitude attitudes of the heart are within the reach of all of us. And here's the thing I want you to remember. They don't depend on income. They don't depend on position. They don't depend on reputation, education, the size of your bank account, or any other worldly success. The least among us have a continual feast wherever we go if we have these two verses. If we have these two verses. And here's the thing. The first point I want to bring out today is fill your heart with faith. Because in verse 16, it says, Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better is with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Now, check that little word out, better. Better. It's better to fear the Lord. You know, I looked up the definition for that. And and it's really to hold God in awe and have respect for him. It's not like we're doing this, but it's like, hey, God, you are awesome, and and I reverence you, and I want what you want for me in my life. And, you know, some things 
are better than others. And here's Solomon, who's the richest man in the world, doesn't mean to exalt poverty as if it's preferred wealth. More poor people would like to be wealthy if given the chance, and many of them work long hours to try to get ahead. So this is not a proverb praising living on the edge of financial disaster, uh, but from the beginning of time, there's always been more poor than rich. Uh, and it's not if it, the world's resources are evenly distributed. No matter how the politicians may want to redistribute wealth, there will always be more poor people. Uh, this is less a statement about the way things ought to be than a statement about the way things are. No doubt... This is what Jesus meant when he said, the poor you will always have with you in Matthew 26, 11. Uh, these words, which can seem callous, must be interpreted in the light of our proverb. Jesus explains himself in the last part of the verse when he says, but you will not always have me. So if Jesus is among you, spend time with him while you can, and then go and feed the poor. Feed your spirit and then feed the hungry. Uh, the words of Solomon remind us that wealth is no panacea. Yes, it's true. It's better to have some money than none at all. Yes, riches, the rich have large houses, nice furnishings, excellent medical insurance, and protection against many troubles. But here's the thing. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Uh, death comes to the rich as, as it does to the poor. The rich can get cancer and die. The rich divorce. The rich have problems with their children. Wealth cannot compensate for the breakup of a marriage. If you have to choose between wealth and the fear of the Lord, let us choose the fear of the Lord. Actually, most of us don't get the choice. The vast majority of the world will never be wealthy, but we can all fear the Lord. There's another way that we can look at wealth. Wealth, by definition, is a relative term. God has given us so very much. We may not be rich. We are probably, I mean, we all probably have to be very careful about how we spend, and yet we are rich. We live better than the richest people that we lived 100 years ago, and we're unfathomably rich compared to the average person in the world today. We live in such abundance that we start to measure ourselves against every whoever's slightly ahead of us rather than the one uh, rather than what one could reasonably expect to enjoy. Now, think of what images we see in places far away from here, or maybe not so far away from here. We see slums that defy all human, human imagination. There are millions of men and women, boys and girls, living in circumstances of such grinding poverty that it almost minds the numb, or numbs the mind. Uh, people living in cardboard boxes under bridges. Large families sharing small apartments, and so on. The men and women who live like that hardly worry about possessions. Uh, they own the clothes on their back and not much else. Uh, compared to them, I'm the wealthy man in verse 16. It is better to live with a roof over your head, with money in the bank, with food on the table, but it's better yet to live with the fear of the Lord in your heart. One need not feel sorry for having more than someone else, but what a fool I am to think that I somehow deserved what I have or that I am somewhat better than someone who has less than I do. I'm the wealthy man in verse 16. What do I have that I did not receive? Hey, everything I have, everything you have is a gift 
from God. That includes every meal, every drink of clean water, every bit of electricity that powers my gadgets, every book I read, every shirt I wear, and every meal put before me. Why is it that in the midst of our abundance, we find it easier to see what we lack rather than what we ought to be grateful for? One of my goals as I get older is to become more thankful, more aware of God's grace and that he's given me to enjoy. The only alternative is to become more entitled. We do not deserve what we've been given. Should we feel guilty for having more? Well, Solomon doesn't ask those who have more to feel guilty about what they have. After all, even in the slum, some have more and some have less. And look around, someone will always be ahead of you, someone will be behind you, and then there's others that will be right there with you. The rich man eventually discovers that his riches take wings and fly away. If he doesn't discover it in his lifetime, he discovers it when he dies because all that he worked for so hard, he leaves behind. In that respect, we all come in and we all go out the same way. And the lesson is clear. Most of us will never truly be rich in this world's goods, but we all can be rich in faith and love and rich in the knowledge of our God. We all come in and we all go out the same way. J.I. Packer tells an acquaintance whose career derailed because of his evangelical convictions. When asked if he harbored any ill feelings, he replied quite simply, I've known God and they haven't. Packer goes on to note that most of us would feel not would not feel comfortable speaking in such straightforward terms. But the terms are entirely biblical. Knowing God does make a difference and is the defining characteristic of those who follow Jesus Christ. To know God deeply and intimately more than makes up for the things we lose because of our faith. You know, 250 years ago, English pastor John Gill summarized the blessings of the man who fears the Lord. And he says this, For such a man, though he has but little, which is the common portion of good men, yet he does not lack. He has enough and is content. What he has, he has with a blessing, and he enjoys it, and God in it, and has communion with him, and has also other bread to eat the world knows nothing of, particularly having the fear of God. The eye of God is upon him with pleasure. His heart is towards him and sympathizes with him in all his troubles. His hand communicates unto him both temporal and spiritual meat, which is given to them that fear the Lord. His angels encamp around about him. His power protects them. His secrets are with him. An inconceivable and inexpressible goodness is laid up for him. Now, here's the thing. Can the world offer any of that? No, only God can. And we are called to be grateful, and we're also given even out of the little we may have. You know, we have an opportunity for Edgewood family to come alongside our community and meeting some needs. And Chad brought it up, and it's the Christmas curbside. It's a drive through donation opportunity sponsored by the Edge Women and Mainspring. It's Tuesday, December 13th. It's going to be from 4 o'clock to 7 o'clock 
p.m. And you can check out the organizations on the, our website. And let me just mention the organizations, Pregnancy Resources, Youth Hope, Active Day Healthcare, the Women's Shelter, and Riverbend Food Bank. Now, I want you to know that during COVID, we did this, and some of those organizations brought their vehicles up, and then people would drive under the canopy. They would drop off goods. There would be people there with hot chocolate and some goodies, maybe some cookies, and they would hand them out. And then people would drop off. All the, and then what we would do is we'd fill those vehicles up with all the things that you would bring by. So make sure you go to the website, check out all the needs that they have, and be a part of that. I just wanted you to challenge you to that. Uh, the second point is fill your home with love. It's, it's better where there is love. Better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Here's a couple other translations. Better a meal of greens with love than a plump calf with hate. A, a simple meal with love is better than a feast where there is hatred. It, it's better to eat a little where there is love than to eat a lot where there is hate. And then Eugene Peterson, who writes in the message, says this, better a bread crust shared in love than a slab of prime rib served in hate. Wow, isn't that true? Have you ever had a wonderful meal served before you and then there'd be some issue at the table and you'd been upset with the other person and all of a sudden that meal turns to bread and water? You know, that's, hey, Better, better, better a, a meal of vegetables where love is than a fattened calf with hate. All these virgin, versions come out at the same place. The most bountiful feast in the world may be ruined if the people at the table hate each other. Discord at the table destroys a good meal, no matter how sumptuous the fare. Whether that prime rib, T-bone steaks, or turkey, and all that dressing trim, trimmings, or your cooking could equal to those of, on the food channel. But if there's no love there, then it's, it's difficult. And it's, it's, it's kind of like one of those meals you just like to skip all together. The words vegetables. Think about that and ponder that for a minute. It refers to a simple fare that a poor family might share. It might be spinach, collard greens, or cabbage. This family so poor, they're vegetarians by necessity, not by choice. And when they come together, they share nothing but a handful of stewed greens. It's not extravagant, but it tastes good because it's served in love. Again, Solomon doesn't mean to elevate poverty above wealth. He's merely reminding us that money doesn't necessarily bring happiness. It certainly doesn't guarantee a happy family or a harmonious Thanksgiving dinner. The point is this, we know these things. Uh, we don't need Solomon to tell us because down deep in a, we know that faith and love matter far more than money or fame. It just so happens that last week, one of our members passed away. His name was Jim Rice. Jim Rice was a member of Edgewood for 50 years. Uh, Pastor Brown, uh, years ago, went into their home found out that Jim knew Jesus Christ as his personal Savior and won his wife, Sharon, uh, to Jesus Christ. They started attending Edgewood, and they got very involved. In fact, Sharon became our church secretary for over 30 years. Jim got highly involved. At one point, he was a deacon. 
Then he became a trustee, and he said, you know, I really enjoy the part of a trustee better than anything. So he stayed in that kind of position for a long time. Uh, You know that he took a a mail-order course on becoming a locksmith. Do you know that that course saved Edgewood thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars? Do you know why? Every once in a while, the locks in the church had to be changed because someone lost their key. Or maybe someone knew they lost their key and then they had to replace that key and he made a new key, but he did that. In the early years of Edgewood, we had buses and we would pick up children in the community and Jim Rice drove the largest bus and Dave Carnathan was the bus captain. They would bring in 40 to 75 kids every Sunday to hear the gospel. After a while, Jim was like, Hey, I'm done with the buses. Give me a van. So he and Dick Swick teamed up together, and they'd go out, and they'd pick up people all the time. Jim was highly involved here. He loved God. People mattered to him. And let me just tell you this. Let me tell you this. You know, just a while back, we had a prophecy conference, didn't we? You know, we had some great guests that came and spoke, but Ray Pritchard was one of them. And, and I wasn't here then, but I was, in Alaska, I was in Alaska visiting my brother, and I got on YouTube, and I watched Ray Pritchard, and I watched the first message, I watched the second message. And at the end of the second message, he said this, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And then all of a sudden, he got you guys all lathered up, and you started yelling with him, Jesus is coming. Well, you know what? Let me tell you this. Jim got lathered up about that. Because here's what he did. He called family members. He met with people he knew, and he wanted to make sure that they knew Jesus Christ and they were ready for Jesus to come. Years ago, when I first came here, Pastor Brown wanted to have a revival meeting. And he had a group by the name of Life Action come and conduct that revival meeting for two weeks. And on one of those nights, he said, grab a partner and pray for revival for Edgewood. And back then, probably where the sound booth is, that used to be the foyer. And Jim Rice and I shared a metal folding chair, and we prayed for revival. But I was taken back because Jim Rice was begging, crying. For revival, for Edgewood. And I thought, wow, I'm going to miss my friend Jim. But you know what? I know where he's at. Nothing's ever lost when you know where it's at. And today there's going to be visitation at Wheelan Funeral Home between 1 and 3.30 in Myland. And then tomorrow his service will be held here at 10 o'clock in the morning. But I want you to know, the reason I told you that is because he loved God, he loved his family, and he loved serving here at church. And my challenge for you, just as I shared that with you, is who's going to step up and take his place? Who's going to take his place? People matter to God. Now, there's a movie that comes out at Christmas time called It's a Wonderful... Yeah, you've heard that. Did you know there's a black and white edition of it? And then there's a colored edition of it. 
And people have watched it over and over and over. I had somebody come up down the middle aisle and she go, Pastor Ed, Pastor Ed, I've watched that thing so many times, I can't watch it anymore. But I said, well, hey, it's got a great message in it. There's some great things in that. And, and so, you know, I don't watch it that often either. But, hey, I want you to, I want you to know there's three great lines in it. There's three great lines. And, and they all come from the angel. What was the angel's name? Yeah, Clarence. You know that, you know. And, and so, hey, here's the thing. You know, Jimmy Stewart plays, who does he play? George Bailey. And he's contemplating, hey, I don't want to live anymore. And, and by the help that he gets from Clarence, he's, he, Clarence helps him to see the difference he's made in the lives of many people. And these are three of the best lines in the movie, and they all come from Clarence. And two of them are lines, but one is a written message. Let's show that first one. Strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? I know that's a short clip, but wow, isn't that a great statement? St- strange, isn't it? Each man's life touches so many other lives. When he isn't around, he leaves an awful hole, doesn't he? You know, remember at the beginning of the message, I told you to make a list of gratitude and things that you're grateful for? Uh, think about all the mentors who are in your life. Write down the mentors that impacted your life and put their name down because if they weren't here, they would have left a hole in your life. And here's the thing, you could leave a hole in someone's life. You have, do you know that you have the ability to influence at least three people? But chances are you can influence more by your actions, by what comes out of your mouth. And God wants to use you in his service. Wade, show the next one, will you? You see, George, you really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Think about this. People matter to God, and people ought to matter to us. Life, it's not fair. There are ups, there are downs, there are difficulties, there's hiccups, and there's headaches. But God says this. When you go through the valley, I'll be right there. Uh, nothing can separate you from the love that I have for you. And, and God wants to take us through all the stuff that comes our way, and he wants to nurture us because here's the thing. Other people are watching us. We say we know Christ, and so when we go through the hard times, uh, do they see Christ in us? Clarence says, you see, George, you've really had a wonderful life. Don't you see what a mistake it would be to throw it away? Life isn't perfect, but with God, it's wonderful. Now, the third one. It's not a spoken one. Remember, George, no man is a failure who has friends. Everybody wants to have friends. You have to make yourself friendly. You have to show yourself friendly. Uh, No man's a failure if he has friends. Let that sink in. No man is an island unto himself. We need one another. Did you know that the Bible says... 
We're to love one another. We're to build up one another. We're to bear with one another. We're to love and care for one another. I appreciate that. You know why? I went to Pastor Brown, and I've been here three years. And uh, he said, he, he punched me on the knee. And he said, Ed, you're doing a good job. I said, why are you saying that to me? He goes, well, you haven't called me very often lately. When you first came here, you called me every 15 minutes. And I turned to him and I said, hey, if I had to put up with me for the first three years, I would have fired me. But here's what I want to say. See, you've helped over the years to shape me. Sometimes you've confronted me. You've told me, hey, Ed, you need to do this. Hey, you you said this and you shouldn't have said that. And hey, we need one another. That's a great line here from Clarence. No man is a failure when he has friends. It's better where there's love. So if you know these things, why does Solomon have to remind us? Well, we leak. We forget. We need reminding. That's why, because we all live under the spell of the big world with all the flashing lights, the alluring games, beautiful people, and all the promises of the good life on the other side of the street. People repeatedly throw it away what is better. A life of loving God and loving people to make choices that blow up in their lives. Uh, The proverbial thing, the grass is greener on the other side. Or maybe we spend a lot of time thinking about, I could really be happy and you fill in the blank. Remember, the operative word is better. It's better to enjoy the simple meal where love abounds than a feast in the finest restaurant in Paris surrounded by people who don't like you. The third point is this. Thanksgiving's a choice. It's better to choose to be thankful. We don't have to choose foolishly. Choose today whom you'll serve. The Bible says in Joshua 24, 15. See, I have set before you today life and death. Choose life that you may live in Deuteronomy 30, 19. That's a wonderful advice, first given by Moses to the children of Israel. Uh, But even after all the wandering in the desert, after a whole generation died, they still made the same mistakes over and over. You know, when I was in college, I took a class in in Old Testament history, and and, and I I was reading through, and I thought, man, what are these people, crazy? God gives them this, and he blesses them. And then they forget all about them. And then God does this for them. And then he forg- they forget about them. And all of a sudden, it was like a two-by-four outside my head. And I went, oh, I'm like them too. We all are. We tend to forget. But hey, lately I've been reading in Psalms. And, and here's what it says. When I came to Psalm 78, which recounts the early history of Israel, I was struck by the emphasis of how Israel kept messing up and how God judged them and then forgave them, and then they'd do it all over again. Now, you can read it for yourself. It's no exaggeration. But in Psalm 78 and verses 40 through 41, and then even on verse 52, God ends up being the real hero. It says this, How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the wasteland. And again and again, they put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. 
You know, I pulled out a Webster dictionary from 1828 to see what vexed means. And it said irritated, agitated, disquieted. They irritated God because of their disobedience. And the people who knew God had either forgot or didn't care or thought they had a better idea and just decided to do things their own way. Have you ever thought about doing things your own way instead of God's way? It never works out. Then you come to this wonderful verse like this. But he brought his people like uh, people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. That's it. We're God's sheep. Every time you turn around, we're going our own way. See Isaiah 53, 6. Left to ourselves, we get lost. We wander back to Egypt, or we'll start fighting each other, or we'll end up supper for the wolves. We're unruly, and we don't like to be led. Sometimes we're just plain dumb. But God leads his sheep all the way through the wilderness by his grace, and eventually we make it safely rest and shelter. And as long as you have God... You have what you need. That's the question, right? Do you have God? Or better said, does God have you? Have you established a relationship with God through a sacrificial death of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross? To live as a child of God is indeed a better way to live, and you can make sure of that today. And, you know, I look around and I know that many of you have accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but I'm, I don't know all of you, and I don't know that all of you have done that. You know, when I was 15, I, I prayed a simple prayer like this, God, forgive me of my sins. And Christ, come into my life and guide me. Now, that wasn't easy believism because I realized that God wasn't going to leave me that way. What he was going to do is he's going to help me to develop, to be more like Christ. And the good news is God takes you just the way you are. And then he works in your life. And sometimes it's like sandpaper. He's taken off the rough edges. God wants a relationship with each and every one of us. And there is a better way to live, but it depends on us believing that our shepherd knows what he's doing even when we think we have a better idea. If we have faith and if we have love, then we have what we need at this very moment. May we be encouraged to learn to see ourselves as one who has been richly blessed rather than as a victim. And let's celebrate blessings instead of complaining about disappointments. Here's what Matthew Henry has to say about it. It is therefore far better and more desirable to have but a little of the world and have it with good conscience to keep up communion with God, to enjoy him in it and live by faith than to have the greatest plenty and live without God. In the world, I think Matthew, Henry, and Solomon agree. Some things are better than other things. Uh, If you have a lot, if you have a little, as long as you have God, you have what you need. Better to have God than to live without Him in this world. I told you at the beginning, I grew up in western New York. 
And I, I lived at 319 Tremont Street. And it was kind of interesting because I went to the web and put it down at 319 Tremont Street, North Tonawanda. And it's a little house. It's a small little house. There was an apartment above it. My grandparents lived below. We lived up on, on the, in the apartment above. And uh, my grandmother and grandfather, my grandfather was Luigi, and, and my grandmother was Crescenja. Their last name was Scopo. And uh, they spoke Italian a lot of the times. And so sometimes I didn't understand them. But there were times when they were irritated. I knew, I, I understood that, okay? <laughs> but one of the things that my grandmother used to really enjoy, they had a small little TV, and she loved Billy Graham. Uh, she would sit there, and then she would have me sit on her lap as a young boy. I remember... Cliff Barrows leading the choir in, in a great song. Then Ethel Waters would get up and sing, His Eye is on the Sparrow. But George Beverly Shea, now both Ethel Waters and George Beverly Hay, Shea had a long list of songs that they sang. And, and you know, uh, George Beverly Shea, my grandmother would sometimes sing with all of them and she would be singing in Italian when they were singing. But George Beverly Shea, I remember George Beverly Shea, and here's, here's what I want to leave with you today. And, and it perfectly captures the deeper meaning of our text. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than the riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be a king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus, wouldn't you? Let's pray, shall we? Father, I come before you and I thank you for each person who's here today and you can see our hearts and you can see our needs. And Father, we've just celebrated a time of the year where we're grateful for so many things, but Father, you see the hearts and you see the needs of every person here. Now, Father, I just ask that, Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, that they might come to know Christ, that they might put their trust and faith in in you and, and, and follow you the rest of their days. But then, Father, for all of us, we ask that you would guide us, that you would lead us, that we would allow you to lead us. Give us what we need. Sometimes we need you to Get our attention. We might not like it, but we need it. We love you. We appreciate you. We're grateful for your grace. We're grateful for your long-suffering that leads to repentance. So, Father, for each person here today, work in their hearts and minds. Help them to not forget the service, but remind them during the week what to be grateful for. And again, Father, if there's someone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, continue to knock on their heart's door 
and may they surrender to you. Father, we give you ourselves today, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.